Well, it's a delight to be back with you this morning, uh, unexpectedly, not uh, like last week, um, but we continue to pray for Derek and for his family. Trust that he'll be back uh, with you next Sunday. Last week, we spent some time and looked at a halal psalm. Remember Psalm 116, where we talked about the shouts of hallelujah sung by the the corporate body, by the Israelites. Today, we're going to look at a song of ascent, also a psalm. It's Psalm 133. I invite you to turn with me there. It's a very short psalm, but it is a song of ascent and a song that was penned by David. Uh, Only a few of the Song of Ascents were penned by David, but we're going to look at one today. So out of love and affection for God's holy, infallible word, would you join me in standing? And let's give our full attention to the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from this portion of your holy law. Show us what it is that we already have because of our union with Christ, and show us what it is that you promised to do for all eternity, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please, friends, be seated. My youngest daughter is a fashion photographer in Los Angeles, California. She lives there with her husband, and she visited us uh, after Christmas uh, over the new year, and she brought along her camera and some things that she was showing us that she had been working on Uh, before the Christmas break. My wife and I always delight in looking at what she has done. We sat there and we looked at these pictures and we said to Allie, our daughter, Allie, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. Look at that. That That is so perfect. The whole thing is completely perfect. And she said, well, not really, because it doesn't really look like that. I just photoshopped some stuff out and I cleaned it up to make it look perfect. We got a kick out of that. And then my uh, oldest daughter, who's living with us now, said, yeah, Allie did that for me. She took pictures of our wedding. And I sure wish I looked like that at our wedding because she took off about 10 pounds and she took off some bags under the eyes and she listed off a few other things. Keep that illustration in mind while you think about this one. Uh, Over the Christmas break, we went to the caverns with our grandchildren. And part of the, the walk, walking through all of the lights and stuff like that, they had those wooden caricatures, you know, that are cutouts of different individuals, and they cut the face out, and what you're supposed to do is stick your face right in there, and someone takes a picture of you. There's undoubtedly always one at every amusement park that you go to of some big strong man. And it doesn't matter how perfect the painting is, if I stick my face into the character of that strong man with big old muscles holding a big bell bar on my back with lots of weight on the other end, you are going to know that that is not really me. 
You know that because while I'm a guest here, I've been here enough now that we have a relationship. We've shared life together. We've rejoiced in the promises that God gives to us as the corporate body of Christ. So you know by looking at me, because you know me, that I'm not that strong man, even though there is a picture of it when I stick my face in the hole. What about disunity in our world? We all must agree that there is uh, uh, an entire huge level of disunity in our culture, in our world today, right? Turn on the TV and watch it. Disunity in our social lives together, disunity in our political views, disunity in our ethnicity. There's disunity everywhere. But what about inside the church? Is the church any different than the world outside? So the two illustrations that I shared with you opening up, the world gives us this picture of a face behind a caricature. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is not a true picture. And we don't have to look very hard or very long in our world today to see the disunity that is among people. It's like sticking our face in a a strongman caricature when we look like this instead of like that. But what about inside the church? Well, it certainly can look like uh, the big caricature. I mean, there are churches that have uh, experienced splits because of the disunity that they have had. It's very obvious. But I think many times, friends, the disunity inside the church is a lot like a photoshopped picture that my daughter has taken. It's ever so small. It's ever so faint. And yet it makes a whole different picture than the one that we truly see. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, Unity is sometimes more noticeable by its absence than its presence. And I think that can be true inside the church many times, that it is absent. Instead of a big caricature where we see, oh yeah, that church is at odds with one another. First Presbyterian is now planting second Presbyterian across the street or something like that. It's ever so faint, but yet it's a completely different picture altogether. Now perhaps before we go any further, we need to define our terms. When I'm using the word unity today, what do do I mean by that? What What do I want you to hear? I want you to hear this. By using the term unity, I want you to think about our togetherness, what we have in our togetherness of what we love, what we corporately love together. And certainly that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and also the promises that our Savior gives to us. The togetherness that we have because of our union with Christ is a togetherness that we have corporately as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are sons and daughters of the living God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So my union as a son of God, I'm now your brother, living in community, in unity with you, the togetherness in what it is that we love. But what prevents that togetherness? What prevents that unity inside the body many times? I think it is this, friends. Because we fail to see what it is that we have already been given. The gift that we have already been given for life today. We fail to see that and to live in that. And we fail to see the promise that God gives us as he ends, the psalmist ends, life forevermore. In that eternal life that is to come. 
what God promises to do for us today, by, penned by David, by divine inspiration in Psalm 133, is that we are a unified corporate body. We are unified brothers and sisters in Christ. We already have that gift today. And he promises to continue that all the way through eternity. So we prevent unity from happening by clinging to the promise of what we already have and what is not yet come. And that's what Psalm 133 is all about. Unity in this life and unity in the life to come. Look at how he begins. The Song of Ascents. Okay, if you're unfamiliar with that term, the Song of Ascents start in Psalm 120 and they go to 134. These were the songs that literally were sung by the Israelites as they ascended Mount Zion, headed up to the tabernacle and later the temple to gather together corporately to offer sacrifices to Yahweh so that the covenant would be renewed. The high priest would lead such festi festivals and the covenant would be renewed with Yahweh and then they would descend the mountain and they would go back to their places. We find in the, in the Songs of Ascent that very thing, the second one. I lift mine eyes to the hills. Psalm 120 starts the despair, the despair of the psalmist. He's not on the mountain. He's not in the presence of Yahweh yet. He's heartbroken. He's in despair. But then Psalm 121, I lift mine eyes to the hills. There my help comes from the one, the creator of heaven and earth. As they're ascending together, that's what the psalmist is saying, as they're all singing these Songs of Ascent they're getting to the top of the mountain, and then we get to the middle of the Song of Ascents, how good it is for us to, to gather together into the... I was glad when he said to me, come, let's gather together and worship the Lord. And then the covenant is renewed as they're waiting on the Lord through the next few Songs of Ascent, and then they're descending, and now they're descending the mountain with this absolute certainty, with this promise that God has unified His covenant family because He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He has renewed His covenant with them in something that they already have. They have unity with one another because of their union with Yahweh. So they're going back to life, so to speak. They're going back to their respective places with this absolute promise. They have life now in union with their fellow worshipers because God himself, Yahweh, has renewed the covenant. But look what else it says there, a song of ascents of David. Now, get this. David is anything but a picture of unity, right? I mean, think about it. The context of this psalm, many commentators say, is 2 Samuel 5, where Saul is now no longer the king, and David now has become the king, and, and the kingdom is disunified, it's in turmoil. That certainly would be in keeping with this penning of this particular psalm. But think about David. He was at odds with his own brothers, right? He was at odds with Saul. He was at odds with his wife, committed Adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed? He was at odds with his own son who tried to take his life. His life was anything but a house of unity. And yet here he is, penning Psalm 133 for us. Song of Ascents of David. Someone who was disunified. Now, friends, that gives me great hope. I don't know about you. But if David could say what he's just said, then I have every right to cling to this same promise 
and believe in this unity that I have as well. A song of a sense of David. And here's the gift. What does God say? You already have. Look! Exclamation point. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. The covenant renewal is always in the context of the family. It's always in context of brothers and sisters. So we don't read the, the term brothers and just think that this is simply for men. But a better translation may be family men or men, members. How, how pleasant, good and pleasant it is when family members dwell together in unity. Because the corporate worship and the corporate renewal was always in the context of the corporate family coming together. And so God says to us, even as we have gathered here at Hope today, look, look at how good and pleasant it is in this gift that I have already given to you, that you are already living in, the promise of coming together as the corporate family to worship him. Look how good, excellent, another word that could be translated there. And we read that at the beginning of the Bible, don't we? God looked around all of creation and said, this is good. And then he creates Eve for Adam and he says, this is very good, same word, good and pleasant or pleasing, agreeable. Friends, this is what we have entering into the doors right back there, the promise that we must cling to, not only individually, that we have the promise that God is our God and he renews his relationship with us, but also for us as we corporately gather together for worship because of our union with him. Verse 2 then, now after verse 1 tells us what the, 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 the gift that God gives. We already have it in this life. Now this gift that we have been given, we are to give to one another. Look what it says. It's like the precious oil on the head of Aaron, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And this is a, a ceremonial illustration that David is using and he's referencing Exodus 28 and 29. There we read Aaron, the first high priest, is set apart by the anointing with oil. And not only simply that which one would see, the oil being poured on Aaron, but we read in Exodus 28 and 29 that it, there was a fragrance that filled the entire space. So for even for someone way in the back who possibly couldn't see the oil being poured on Aaron to set him apart. Certainly they could smell. It's like this. When we take the top off of this, me standing behind the table, all of a sudden you smell the wine. You begin to smell that which we are about to partake of. And that's Exodus 28 and 29. But Hebrews 7, the author of Hebrews, tells us that while Aaron was the first high priest set apart, there were subsequent high priests that came after him, but perfection in that office of high priest was never attainable, Hebrews 7, until Jesus Christ, who comes from the priestly line of Melchizedek, fulfilled that office because of his divine, his perfect sacrifice. So we have... We have Priests that are standing before the congregation, a priest speaking for the people to God, a prophet speaking for God to the people, but a priest speaking for the people, offering sacrifices for the purpose of God renewing his covenant with them as they gathered together, unified, one body. But now we have the priesthood of the saints 
because of the union we have with the Spirit, who now indwells within us on this side of Calvary. Now we gather together, not as for one person to stand up front and do it all for you and to speak promises to you to make them effectual and happen, but we all together come into the presence of God to be reminded of the indwelling now of that Spirit, that oil that drives us into this relationship that we have. Friends, here's the application then now. The oil running down, uh, our translation reads on the collar of Aaron's robe. The same Hebrew word could be translated the hem of Aaron's robe. It's a picture of what starts at the top flows all the way down to the bottom. The oil that was poured on Aaron's head went from the top all the way to the bottom. And now the lives that we live because of the gift that we have been given, now we are pouring down that same thing. God from on high pours down his blessing on us, giving us unity, and now we live in unity. Oil running down from the top to the bottom, offering our lives community with one another, living in the unity that we have. I am not a social media guy. Don't have Facebook, don't have Instagram, uh, you know. And now in my retirement phase, I could probably get away with no email. I'll, I'll keep texting. That's easy. Uh, but I don't do anything else. But my wife, from time to time, will read me things from her Facebook account. I'm not sure about you guys, and I'm not accusing you of being this way. When I was still in ministry and COVID hit back in 2019... I was utterly amazed at the things that my wife would read to me from fellow parishioners in the church where I served about things like a mask or social distancing or whatever it may be as, as the, the pandemic began. Here, brothers and sisters in Christ who I am certain would not have the strength to say to a person's face what I was reading or hearing read from a screen. Somehow we become very bold behind a screen to say things, to type things that tear one another apart. I experienced it. I'm not certain if you did or didn't. Maybe you did. I would be surprised if you didn't somewhere along the way because that's the very point. God has given us this gift, beloved. The gift of our union with him because of the finished work of Christ and now the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we are to live that life, that gift together in this life now. The promise that we already have, not tearing one another apart, but speaking the truth in love, being slow to speak and quick to listen, all of the other things that are in Scripture that give us illustrations of how it is that we live life together. That's what we're called to do. Not a caricature of a face in a muscle man body and not even photoshopping, brushing something out. But friends, now listen, unity doesn't mean that we're cookie cutter. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. We, we have conflict in the body. We have disagreements in the body. We have different political views, different views on masks and vaccines and things like that. But how are we going to live together in what we have already been given? That's the point that Psalm 133 is telling us. Instead of tearing one another apart, let's love our togetherness in our union with Christ. And let's love one another as a result from that. Look at the last verse then, short psalm. So now we move in 
He gives us one more picture of what we have already before he moves in to the forevermore. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. He's given the blessing already, now for the future life forevermore. Now he's using a geographical illustration. But making the same point, David makes the same point from the top to the bottom or from the greater to the lesser. Mount Hermon is in the north side of Israel. It is the tallest mountain in Israel. It's just shy of 10,000 feet. It's the only mountain in Israel that has snow on the top of it. Mount Zion is down in Jerusalem in the southern part of, of Israel. And so we have this picture, and as I've traveled there, as you move from Galilee on the north side and you make your way all the way down to the south side to Jerusalem, it goes from this lush green all around the Sea of Galilee. It's very, very green. And then when you get down to Jerusalem, to Jericho and all of those, it's, it's dirt, it's brown, it's rock. But you see it in the morning especially when the sun hits the snow-capped mountain of Hermon. You see the condensation in the air and you have in Jerusalem all the way to the southern end moisture on things in the morning before the sun really comes up and the heat takes over and dries it all out. And that's what David is saying. From the greater to the lesser, the, the blessing that's flowing down now from that which God has orchestrated and given from the beginning. Because God has promised this, now it flows all the way down to people like you and me to nourish us even life then forevermore. He says, from the greater, the gift given by God himself. This isn't something that we just set our minds to and say, doggone it, we're going to be unified and we're not going to fight with one another anymore. But we rest in the promise that God's already done that for us in Jesus. The greater, the covenant-making God who now seals that promise in the finished work of Christ and rains down on us as we live together. And then for all eternity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We read it in our scriptures today from Hebrews chapter 12. You have come to Mount Zion, but you have come to a different Mount Zion. Now the Mount Zion that is your mediator, Jesus Christ. And what, uh, what we also read in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21, you've come uh, a new Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And in this new Jerusalem, in the new city, John says, God dwells among us like he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The promise is now life forevermore that he dwells with us through that mediator that Hebrews 12 tells us about. That's the gift. Do you see it, friends? Do you see it in Psalm 133? Even the Old Testament, Jesus is on every single page. This greater to the lesser, the gift given, flowing down through God and the mediator Christ to seal to us what it is that we have been given. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You ever thought about why he said it that way? 1 Corinthians 13. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Friends, in this life that we're living today, we live by faith, not by sight. 
But there is coming a day when Jesus returns that our faith will be sight. We won't need faith anymore because as Revelation 21 says, He will dwell among us. Our faith will be sight. We live together today in hope, the hope of His coming again because of the promise. But someday, that hope will be a reality when Jesus is dwelling among us. And we live together today in love, and we live forevermore in love. Faith and hope will pass away, but we will love one another, the command today, and life forevermore. That's why Paul says, but the greatest of these is love. So how are you loving one another? How are you loving one another by the work of the Spirit the oil inside you because of the gift that you have been given. That's our hope. That's our promise. And that's what he seals to us today forevermore. You know, before I went to seminary, I was a firefighter paramedic in Louisville, which is north of Dallas. Uh, for about 10 years, firefighter paramedic there. And one of the last fires that I fought before I quit and went off to seminary was the Old Town Cafe. The call came in about 3 o'clock in the morning, so it had been burning for some time. Nobody had driven by, but it's just off the square on Mill Street. It's the typical old cafe where they got the great greasy breakfasts that the old-timers go and read the paper and stuff together. We pulled up. I was on the first in-engine company that pulled up, and this thing was ripping. It was fully engulfed. It's a small business, but it, it, was, it was well on its way. We started pulling lines off of the engine that, that parked right in front of the facility. We pulled off hand line, two inch hand lines to go in front doors to go this way and that way. We pulled off three inch lines to, to put uh, uh, apparatuses on the ground that would squirt water, uh, a, a set uh, on, the, on the ground doing this, and another one off that way supplying another engine and so forth. We pulled off every line that we had. We went into the building. We extinguished the fire. We came out, and I came out, I was looking for some water, looking for a little bit of rest, and I came out of the front door, and there in front of me, literally in front of me, all these yellow lines from two-inch lines to three-inch lines, one running over here to that device, one running over here to that device, all strung out the two nozzles that went in the front door to go right and left, and all these hoses were all just discombobulated, all just this big, huge mess all there in the, the parking lot. And I went around to the other side of the engine to get some water, and then I saw one five-inch supply line, 25-foot section of supply line, that went from the fire hydrant straight into the intake of the engine. One line, no mess at all. And I stood there, and I literally thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of the union that we have, the unity that we have, for one purpose, the, our purpose of pulling all those lines off was to be unified and putting out the fire. That's what we wanted to do. But we all have messy lives. But I got to the other side, and there's this beautiful supply, the hydrant, coming through this beautiful engine, the mediator, with all of this mess on the other side for the sole purpose of putting out the fire. That, my friends, is union. That is unity. We're not cookie cutters. We'll have our differences. But our purpose, our sole purpose, is the togetherness in what we have in the gift that we have already been given that will take us 
to the not yet through all eternity. Thanks be to God. Amen. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that this is the promise that you give to us, are giving to us, promise to continue to give to us. Would you seal that to us today by that same spirit, the great comforter who lives inside of each of us here who love the Lord Jesus and long for his appearing. I pray for hope, hope church, Lord, that that the unity that, that she would experience would be so obvious in the lives that we live in community, even through our community groups, our men's breakfasts, whatever it is that we, that we would share together. Let us live life in the promises that are yes and amen, that are ours now in Jesus and will be for all eternity. We ask this in his name and for his sake.